Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Quaybog Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel or check us out on Facebook. That way you'll have access to fresh content every week. But most importantly, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey because our mission here at Quaybog is to help you worship, connect, and serve. Enjoy! So the, the idea of rediscovering Christmas, right? Um, you know, I titled this series this way because I wanted us to, to step back from maybe, again, some of the nostalgia or some of the, um, maybe just the isolation of the story of Christmas and, and understand the vastness of the story of Christmas. And then also, very intentionally, understanding that Jesus brings freedom, right? Jesus brought freedom, certainly when he was born, but I want us to understand and be able to like, just embody this idea that Jesus still is bringing freedom. That's, that's the beauty of this story of Christmas, right? And it's the, the, again, the enormity of what happened at Christmas because of how much it was a part of. Not just that it was this story, but it was a part of this huge thing. So for me, rediscovering Christmas is stepping back and saying, look at all that God was doing. Um, so I hope that we can do that because we've got the cradle there in the background, right? We've got the, the manger scene there in the background, but that's just part of a huge, huge story. Now, when we think about the Christmas story, when we think about Jesus in general, uh, naturally there's an element of faith that comes from believing in Jesus because I'm looking around here and I'm not thinking that many of us were there when Jesus was walking the earth, right? And so because of that, naturally there's an element of faith to what we believe here in 2022, right? Because we were not there to see what happened. But, however, there is something. There's more than just the blind faith that we're called to because God has also given us a huge measure of evidence, right? There are prophecies. We've talked about Jesus. Conservative estimate is that Jesus fulfilled at least 300 prophecies that were very specific to him. Some were about, a lot were about his birth, and the events that surrounded that. But there's a lot that was going on that Jesus fulfilled. And there's also archaeology. There, the things that we dig out of the earth, that it's like, oh, those people were real, right? Oh, King David was actually real. Oh, Pilate was actually real, right? There's all these people that um, have over the years said, oh, these are all stories until all of a sudden we start digging things out of the dirt of the earth. And it's like, oh, from other cultures, oh. I guess that is right. That is true. So God has given us a lot of evidence. And of course, one of the big ones is Advent. And it's why we celebrate Advent, because Christ actually came. Jesus Christ said, this is who God is. I want you to know my character. I want you to know who I am, so much so that I'm going to come into your story and be a part of your story so that you know who I am. You know who I am. But Isaiah is going to explain, though, it's the, it, there's not just the evidence that we want. There's not just necessarily the faith that we want. It's the question of who are we putting our faith in that is also very, very important, right? Because I can put my faith in a lot of things. I can get on a plane going to Chicago and think I'm going to Miami, and all the faith in the world isn't going to help me out, right? i got to put my faith in the right thing. And so what he's going to get into in this section where we are in Isaiah, again, we're still kind of time traveling back and looking forward to the Messiah coming here in Isaiah, in this section of chapter 40 through really 55 is something very, very specific, very particular to the book of Isaiah. And he's trying to get us to understand who we're putting our faith in, which is a big deal for Isaiah. 
So then the, the overarching question, though, for this series, and every week we'll come back to it just to make sure we're hitting on it, because last week, like Brittany talked about, we looked at hope, right? We began to think about that, the hope that we have in Christ. This week, we're going to look at faith, as was on the screen there, and we're going to think specifically about who we're putting our faith in. So in light of these types of things, in light of Jesus offering freedom, our question what would it look like for you to embrace the freedom Jesus offers you? And this is a very personal question that you need to deal with, right? Because I don't know your story completely. I don't know the scars that you have from childhood, right? The wounds that you have from your family, right? I don't know what you feel like because of your coworkers or your classmates or your neighbors. Like, I don't know certain pains like that. Uh, and what I don't especially know are those secret sins that, and like, I, I picked this up. This is a phrase I read of a devotional just this morning. I don't know those secret sins that you have given yourself permission to commit, right? Because all of us have those little sins that, that we just want to hang on to. So I don't know your heart that well to say, these are the ones that you've given yourself permission to commit. Like, it's okay to be prideful or judgmental or a little pornography never hurt, right? Or these little, like, little sins in our lives that we've kind of talked ourselves into being okay with, right? And so this is a question for you personally. This is not a theoretical or hypothetical here. This is something for you. What would it look like for you to embrace the freedom that Jesus offers you today? It could be eternal salvation. It could be, um, it could be just in your own life saying, okay, I've been struggling with this long enough, and I'm going to finally say no to it. And the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians would put it this way. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. So what is Paul talking about here? In this book, in this letter to the Christians in Galatia, Paul is saying, look, there's some people sneaking into the church, guys. Ladies, there's some people sneaking into the church and they want you to be Jewish again. They want you to have to submit yourselves to the Old Testament law. So here, as I'm looking out and I'm seeing the people here, I don't think many of you, many of you are secretly being like, you know, I really want to go back to the Old Testament law again. Like, we're not struggling with that particular issue. But I tell you what many of us are, is we've got sin in our life, more generally speaking, a principle to pull from this, is that we've got sin in our life and God would say, stop putting on that yoke of slavery. Like, stop allowing yourself to say that. Stop allowing yourself to think that. Stop doing that because there's no freedom in that. That is just a yoke of slavery that you keep putting on yourself. So when I talk about the freedom of Christ, yes, I'm talking about your salvation. Yes, I'm talking about what Jesus Christ would have ultimately accomplished from his birth, right, to the cross. But what I'm also talking about is something very much here and now. And I was talking with a friend uh, this week, and he was asking me, what does it mean, freedom in Christ? Like, what does that saying mean? He was like, I can wrap my head around Jesus and the work that he did on the cross for me. And that finished work of Christ on the cross guarantees my spiritual freedom from death. I get that. He said, but what I see all around me, though, is people struggling that are Christians, struggling with sin. And like, and just not being able to, to move beyond some of these things. And he said, and then I see other Christians who say they're Christians and they're just belligerent in their sin and they just continue to live in it. He's like, I don't see any freedom in that. So 
He said, can you, can you help me with this? And so as we began to talk about this, I said, you know, I guess the, the, the clearest line from A to B for me on that question is that this is something that, and this is what was key for me as I began to think about this with him, it's something that's offered, right? Freedom in, in Christ is something that in this life, in your walk if you're a Christian, is something that is offered to you, but it's something that you need to embrace and live out, so we began to talk about this more in the morning. And I was like, you know, I think it's like a good analogy would be like when I was in Iraq in 03 and 04, it was the very beginning of that war. And there were people there that I would talk to in the streets. You know, there was some educated people that had been around the world a little bit. And then, there, of course, there was uneducated people that hadn't been around the world. And when I was talking with these people, especially the educated people, they worried about their own people's ability to embrace and accept what they knew was being offered by us being there. So they said, we know that, we're, that democracy is, is in, the, in the distance here for us. We know that there's going to be this idea of like self-empowerment and self-governance that, that is given to us. Really, they understood freedom is going to be put on the table for us. But they said what they worried about and what I began to see while I was there is I don't know that these people are going to be able to even understand what's being offered because for so long they have lived under the tyranny of a dictator and so when saddam hussein was deposed and when he paid for the crimes that he'd committed and his own people hung him then all of a sudden it's like okay now what and i remember and i was gone by all the time that this later stuff was happening but i remember thinking like i just don't know if these people are going to be able to understand and embrace this idea of freedom and they struggled mightily with it for a lot of reasons they never knew anything different right? And here's what we do as humans. Here's what I see in, in people that are even in toxic relationships, dangerous relationships. I know that if I step into this thing over here, this could mean freedom from this, but I don't know what that is. And as bad as this is, at least I know it. At least I understand this. Freedom, I, I don't even know how to embrace that or what to do with that. And it's dangerous. It might get me in trouble. Am I embracing Western sinful ideals by embracing this democracy and this freedom thing? What's going to happen to our women? What's going to happen to our way of life, right? Everything. Like, oh, right? And, but we do this same thing with Christ, I think. Here's freedom on the table. It's been offered, but because of our upbringing, because of our past, our hurts, like I said, all these other things, it's like, well, maybe I should just stay here because at least I know this rather than embracing the freedom in Christ that's offered. So we stay with our sin, we stay with our hurt, we stay with these things, rather than saying, you know what, I'll take the risk of putting my faith in Jesus Christ that his way is actually better. And I got to know his way. Like, I got to know his way and say, okay, I know what he said in the New Testament. I know what he teaches through his disciples. I know what the early church was struggling with and how they were struggling with these very same issues. And Paul says, look, for freedom Christ set us free. Would you then stand firm? Would you do that? You have to have resolve to do this, Paul is saying. And don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. So that is for us. That is for you personally, not submitting again to yoke of slavery. Don't go back to what was, even if what is offered is scary, right? But my question again, to leave to you, will you embrace it? Will you do that? So from last week, just to catch us up a little bit, where we were last week, we introduced the idea of Advent. And we started talking about what that means. It's a Latin word, adventus, means coming or arrival. Uh, we looked at the, the two parts of this. One, where we're going to be, or where we were last week, and then where we're going to be today. 
Remember, we're time traveling, looking ahead to when Christ is still expected, right? So we're still in the Old Testament looking forward to his coming. And then starting next week, we're going to land, okay, here was Jesus. He's born. He's here. We'll look at some details surrounding that. But then really the spiritual dynamic that was happening around his birth, because that's really the important part of it, right? It's not just the details of the manger scene. It's what the heck did that even mean, right? What was going on? And then let's look ahead to his second coming, because all of these are connected pieces. So during this series, yes, we're going to start, like we did last week, in Genesis, and we're going to go all the way through Revelation to see what was going on in this Christmas story so that we can rediscover the meaning, the purpose, the value, the freedom that is offered in this very, very big connected story, right? So that's where we're going to be because God immediately knew in Genesis 3 that this was going to happen. Right, that Jesus Christ was coming and he was going to be ultimately victorious because there was this problem of sin that entered into the world. And it's like God has known all along what the story was going to be from beginning to end. Right? And so that's the cool thing to look at all these little pieces. And that's what we'll try to do together. Uh, we also looked at, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, the prophecies of Jesus, right? Fulfilling 300 or so, which is a pretty big deal, right? It's the evidence that comes from that. And then, big picture again, to kind of land again, is that it's a big connected story. So today, we're going to be, as I mentioned, in Isaiah 40. So there's kind of the, the recap, the bigger ideas for this morning, but I want to also think about this particular passage. So we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 40, but this is in a specific literary unit. Isaiah 40 through 55 is a very, very particular section of Scripture. And in this particular section of Scripture, you have him talking about really, really big ideas about God right? Really big ideas about who God is and what he came here to accomplish. The majesty of God is huge in these particular sections of scripture. You have him talking a lot about um, the, the suffering servant is in this section, is here as well. But there's an arc here that I want to kind of introduce us to this morning. And there's a commentary that, that I read, and this guy, Gary Smith, he says this about this particular section right here. Isaiah gives assurances of God's power to strengthen his people in times of trials and weakness. So again, listen to that. This section of scripture, Isaiah is giving assurances of God's power to strengthen his people in times of trials and weakness. Because his people are getting ready to go through some pure misery because of the choices that they have made. So how does Isaiah in general break down? So just a quick note on Isaiah. And then a quick note on this particular section here, and then just a really fast note on what prophecy is and how we should kind of understand prophecy. Because again, these can be weird ideas all to put together, right? So firstly, you have in Isaiah 1 through 39, if we just want to do things quickly, a lot of judgment. So if you want to go home today and be kind of depressed, go home and read Isaiah 1 through 39. Lots of judgment, lots of the things that you're doing are going to lead to misery, they're going to lead to exile, they're going to lead to all these bad things, and he's just really laying it out. Like, the decisions you're making are going to cost you dearly, right? And then a lot of the other minor prophets and major prophets are doing the same kind of thing. However, this story begins to shift pretty significantly in the chapter that we're going to be in today in Isaiah 40, because that's where he gets into all the way to the end of the book, you have restoration and deliverance themes that are huge, so how does he do that in this? So we're, we're starting a little bit broad with the whole entire book of Isaiah, and then let's start narrowing it down to where we are today. So first and foremost, you're going to see deliverance from captivity in Babylon, right? 
So this is like this is why prophecy sometimes can be so weird to understand or so difficult to understand because Isaiah is speaking these events that still are about a hundred years away, right? So he's speaking specifically to people, and you're going to see that today in verse nine of chapter forty. He's speaking specifically to this group, but he's saying these things are going to happen, but they're still a hundred years away. And then the captivity in Babylon is going to be another 70 years after that. So 170 years out still is what he's talking about. But there's this hope that this is going to come to an end. And then next, he moves then into the suffering servant section of Isaiah, the rejection and restoration of that servant, who is Jesus. So don't miss what we're happening here, right? So just to recap really fast. So he's talking, okay, you people here, this is going to happen, kind of next generation stuff. But now all of a sudden he's bounced to the first advent of Jesus, right? His first time on earth. All in these chapters are just kind of like being like said, but we're covering hundreds and then eventually thousands of years. Because then, number three, by the time he gets to the end of this book, the conclusion of God's restoration of Israel and the world. And the Messiah is a huge part of this hope. So now we're all the way at the end of time. And John Martin, of a different um, commentary I like to read, he kind of set these three out. And I thought, you know, that's a really simple, good, clean way to look at this. And there's, of course, many more details. But to say that this prophecy in Isaiah spans right here, I'm talking to you people, but it, it ends in the end of time. And that's why prophecy can be tricky sometimes. So I found like the worst, most like crudely drawn picture in the world. Um, but here it is uh, online. And uh, but I think as, uh, as awful as it is, it kind of makes the point. I don't know why they gave him goat eyes. That's creepy. But this is a prophet here. And the prophet's situation is what's right in front of him. So sometimes he'd be speaking right to a situation. But to our purposes here for this morning, you have the first advent of Christ, right? As we saw in the breakdown of Isaiah. But then it's all the way, it's, he's also looking all the way to the second advent of Christ. And here's the tricky thing about prophecy. The prophets don't always know how far apart these mountain peaks are, right? So in their mind, it's like, okay, so these things are either coming like one after another, or this is like end of time stuff. I have no idea what's happening in the valleys or how far apart, like I said, the valleys are. So, but this is a prophet's perspective, and it's what we see in the book of Isaiah. This is going to happen, but God's going to deliver you. Then there's going to be this suffering servant, the Messiah, that comes. That's first advent. Then he's brought, and by the end of Isaiah, now he's talking about the second advent. So see, the story of Jesus Christ is not one that's just kind of like a, a moment thing. Genesis 3, God says it's going to happen. And for thousands of years, thousands of years, prophets are saying this prophet is going to come. This Messiah is going to come. This answer is going to come. And here he is talking now uh, about the whole story. So Christmas, again, part of a very, very big story of God's deliverance of people. It's his concern. It's his desire to have relationship with us. And it's the seriousness of sin and the cost of sin. And it's all tied up into that. And it's a God's answer for that problem of sin. And so I just wanted to just throw these things out just as we're going to help us think through some of these things. Because again, there's a lot that's a part of the story. As I mentioned last week, right? You've got the bad fruit. You've got sin and death. You've got slavery. You've got like crazy kings and crazy prophets talking about a cradle. You've got him talking about a cross. You've got him talking about all of a sudden like a horse and like a king and like tattoos on his legs and a new earth and heaven. And then the Bible ends. And then you got all these details scattered all across that, right? And it's like, how do we put all that together? How does it fit together? And so I'm just trying to, as we go, kind of teach us through, help us think through some of these things. 
So there's, there's my big picture on Isaiah. So today, like I said, we're landing in Isaiah 40, where the book of Isaiah begins to take a huge shift away from judgment, and now all of a sudden, deliverance. And included in that is the hope of the Messiah. But in Isaiah chapter 40, and a bunch of other chapters as well, but specifically here, he starts introducing a really important idea. Like I said earlier, who are we putting our faith in? Who exactly is it we're putting our faith in? That's a really, really important question to ask. Who is God? What is he like? Yes, Jesus revealed him, but this is kind of where you start getting into the majesty of God, the power of God, the difference of God. So in verse 9, here we go. We're talking to a specific group of people. Zion, herald of good news, go up on a high mountain, right? Go tell it on a mountain like we talk about at Christmas time, the Christmas hymn. Jerusalem, herald of good news. Raise your voice loudly. Raise it. Do not be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God, or here is Elohim. So this right here is a very specific prophecy. It's a very specific statement because he's talking about Zion. He's talking about Jerusalem, and he's talking about the cities of Judah. And these people are about to go through some really difficult times because of choices that they have made. And in light of all that, though, he is saying, you're going to, in spite of your sin, your rejection of God, the consequences that are coming, here is your God. He is not going anywhere. He's going to be faithful to his promise, to his people, to King David, and the promise of the root of Jesse that would come. Like, God's not going to let his plan get all, like, sidetracked because of what you're doing right now. God is going to be faithful, and he's going to be with you, and here he is. So this is coming down the pipe for us, guys. But God's not going anywhere. And again, that's kind of a different way to look at God. So he's going to get into this idea a little bit more as he goes. Who are we putting our faith in? Verse 10, he says, See the Lord God, or Adonai Yahweh, comes with strength, and his power establishes his rule. His wages are with him. And again, this is important. We're talking like right out of judgment here, and his reward accompanies him. And this is what we read together this morning. He protects his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them in the fold of his garment. And he gently leads those who are nursing, or he's gently leading those who are vulnerable. So preparing them for suffering, but then saying protects, shepherds, gathers, carries, leads. You know, do we see Jesus that way? Do we see God that way, that, that he's going to walk through things with us? Because again, for our Savior Jesus, for the one that we follow, it was unfair. It was difficult. He suffered. And yet, he says, I am with you, and I will always be with you. Yes, you're going to face these kinds of things. But in the midst of this, he says to people that are going to suffer because of their own choices, he's going to gently lead these people. So this is, like, this is the heart that God has for us. This is the one that we put our faith in. And then at this point, so he's introducing some ideas here, but is it at this point now where Isaiah is going to get into who is God exactly? Like, let's, let's start thinking about how different God is. And this is a huge theme in chapters 40 through 55. The majesty of God is now going to be introduced, and he's going to be talking about this. So if, this, if God is going to deliver you, who exactly is God? Who is the one that's going to shepherd you and take care of you? Verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? And who has marked off the heavens with the span of his hand? I love that saying, who has marked off the heavens with a span of his hand. So who is it that's going to deliver us? Who do we put our faith in? It's like, 
Can you imagine, like, with the span of your hand, it was like the universe. God was like, mm, yeah, that's about right. Right? That's about, that, that looks pretty good. Like, the God that we serve is that big, is that powerful, measured off the heavens with the span of his hand. And Isaiah is saying, look, I just want you to understand who it is that's going to be doing this deliverance. Who is it? Well, it's one that can do this with the universe. It's the one, as we're going to see, that can just start speaking stars. He says, who has gathered the dust of the earth in a measure or weighed the mountains on a balance and the hills on scales? Verse 13, who has directed the spirit of the Lord, right? I mean, who can actually do that? Who can give him counsel? Who did he consult? Who gave him understanding and taught him the paths of justice, right? Isaiah is saying, well, nobody. He's the one that established the paths of justice. Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? And skipping to verse 18. This, it says this twice in this section this morning. With whom will you compare God? What likeness will you set up for comparison with him? And then this is like, this is it. This is what they were struggling with. An idol? Something that a smelter casts? And a metal worker plates with gold and makes silver chains for? It's like he's asking, if we, have, if we have this kind of God, why are we putting our faith in stuff that's temporary that people make, right? And we're no different today, right? We, put, we try to find our identity and meaning in things like our jobs, right? In money, in our houses, in our cars, in our things, in our stuff, the people that we're with, our kids, we try to live vicariously through them, right? We want everything to be perfect and look good so that we can find identity, meaning, and purpose and value in them. And God is like, why are you putting your faith in those things, Right? Like, why are you doing that? So many people, I remember, like, they were just like, oh, cryptocurrency is going to be the best thing in the universe, right? And now it's like the entire universe is crashing in the crypto world. And it's like, okay, so what do you do when you find yourself in that kind of position? Or when the housing market crashes, or when gas goes way up, or inflation is on the rise, or all these things. Like, what do we find hope in? What are we putting our faith in? And, and he's like, is that it? And each generation that goes by... Like the studies, like I, again, I, I've said it before, but I, I just, I love seeing where culture is, especially in the Western world, uh, because they, you can make really clear, easy, identifiable lines of demarcation with our mental health as people in the Western world and the advent of smartphones. So when smartphones came out, you can see this like immediate trajectory in the Western world of loneliness, anxiety, and depression, because all of a sudden we had these cool little idols that we could take everywhere with us, right? And now all of a sudden social media, and it's like, this is not just, a, again, a churchy pastor Kyle, the world is bad kind of thing. You can see easily how this stuff is affecting us because we're trying to find identity, value, meaning, and purpose in ourselves, that's the world that we live in. Very much the message our kids are getting is that you get to define your identity and reality and you will find meaning and purpose in yourself and in nowhere else. And the more that we turn inwardly, the worse and worse we keep getting. The more and more this becomes not just an epidemic anymore, but a pandemic of loneliness and depression in the Western world. Because what's happening? We're losing our ties to other people. God designed us to be in relationship with other people, but we don't need to be anymore. We're finding, you know, just our own thing. You show me your average guy, and I'll show you a very lonely person. Like, men are some of the loneliest people in the world. Like, more and more and more, each time they do surveys every year, it's like, it's sad. Guys don't have friends. Guys just don't have friends. They don't have people that they're close to. And it's just like, and we're getting more and more lonely. I don't know if you knew this, but in England, they have a whole department of government to try to take care of loneliness. There's like a ministry of loneliness in the government there. 
because they cannot figure out what is happening to people. Well, we're turning more and more inwardly, right? Or inward, right? We're focusing on ourselves. We're trying to find our value and meaning in our phones, right? We're trying to find value and meaning in sex or our gender or our jobs or our money or whatever, right? And it's like all these things, it's like we want to be able to do all this. And God's like, look, why are you putting your faith in all that stuff? (laughs) Why? Like none of that is going to give you what you need. And so who are we putting our faith in? One that's bigger and beyond all this stuff. One that measures the span of the universe with his hand. And here I am, right? Here I am. I have to get behind people that are driving slow on the road on my way to church. I can't even control that, right? Yeah. And then the internet goes out and I can't use my phone anymore. And then life's over, right? So, verse 22. Here we go again. God is enthroned above the circle of the earth. Its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, right? We are just so much different than God, so much smaller. He stretches out the heavens like a thin cloth and spreads them out like a tent to live in. Who we put our faith in? Who offers us freedom? And he goes on, verse 25. Now God is going to ask this question. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Asks the Holy One. Look up and see. Who created these? He brings out the stars by numbers. He calls all of them by name. Because of his great power and strength, not one of them is missing. Psalm 19.1, famous verse. Um, You guys uh, probably all know. Read these words with me. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. Skies display his craftsmanship. So every Sunday morning, about 4.45-ish, on my way into the doors of the church, I say this psalm right here. I look up because, thankfully, most Sunday mornings when I come walking into the church, there's nothing but just stars scattered all over the place. And I love it. And if you've seen our parking lot and our church at night, it's pretty much always daytime around here, right? There are so many lights around our church, and yet I can see the majesty of God. I can see his handiwork on display when I walk in. And I say this verse right here to make sure that my heart is checked before I walk into this building on a Sunday morning. Because I want to remind myself Lord, you are the majestic one. You are the mighty one. You are the speaker of stars, right? And I am nobody. I'm like a grasshopper compared to you. So Lord, keep my heart humble because this is not about Kyle Sargent when I stand on this stage and represent God's word to you. Like this is about the creator of the universe, right? And so I say this verse to keep my own heart in check because I'm like, Lord, you did that. You did that. Right? And so that's who we serve. That's who we're putting our faith in. And the Apostle Paul in the New Testament would pick up on this idea as well. Like God's creation, God's handiwork. And he says in Romans chapter 1, in verse 19, look at this. He says, they know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. And he goes on. Well, how do they make it obvious? For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. And it's like, look how amazing this creation is. Like there has got to be something going on for all of this to be engineered in such a way that it just fits together. I remember hearing years ago from a scientist that was an atheist, and he said, it's odd. It's odd, he said, how the universe seems to be fine-tuned for life here on earth. And I was like, I don't think that's very odd at all. Seems like that's what God meant to do. But these scientists, though, they're like just completely rejecting God. They, it's, it's interesting to hear them say, it is odd, though, how it does appear that all this was fine-tuned for life right here on our planet. 
right? And I love science. Like, I love, I love watching people that are great do things that they're great at. Like, so I love watching things and reading things that I don't understand sometimes. Like, especially, like, with science. I'm fascinated with science. But sometimes I kind of have to, like, kind of skim read because I don't know what they're talking about, right? And there was this one, though. I was reading uh, this woman that's a, a physicist. And she was talking about how, for her, it, it is interesting. Not a believer or anything like that. She's like, it's interesting, though, how when you look at the universe, there is this crossover. Like, there's this definitely this crashing of religion and science. She said, because, you know, she said, mathematically, realistically, we need to stop talking about the multiverse. She's like, this is not a real thing, you know? And she's like, but we just start, we just keep putting this forward in science circles. Like, like oh yeah, there's just these, multi, these multiverses. And so we've got, you know, an infinite number of all of us. And we're just in this chain that just keeps recreating. And she was like, that's not a thing. There's no math behind that. She was like, that's why for her, she was like, there is like this kind of, well, how do we get here? Because everything in the world has to have a beginning, right? We know that. Everything physical has to start somewhere. So the one that we serve, what Paul is saying, what Isaiah is saying, what the psalmist is saying, is that there's something going on here because at one point there was nothing. And there had to be somebody powerful enough outside of that with also the will to want to create and the desire, the purpose to actually do that. And Isaiah is saying, that's the one that we belong to. That's who you put your faith in for the freedom that's offered from Jesus Christ. Jesus is that one that measures the span of the universe with his fingers, right? That's who it is we're putting our faith in. When we talk about our freedom in Christ, like the trust that we need to put in him to step away from our own pain, our own past, our own little secret sins that we've given ourselves permission to commit, we need to step out of that and embrace the freedom of the one that created all this. And he ends this in verse 21 by saying, Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities. And he says, his eternal power, so these are, the, etern- the qualities are his eternal power and his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. He's revealed himself because he wants us to know him, right? He wants us to know him. Acts 17, Paul would say this the same thing. He would say, look, God's done all this so that we would seek him and perhaps find him, though he's not far from each one of us. He wants us to be in relationship. He wants us to embrace that freedom. And then here's how Isaiah ends this section. He says, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. So now he's kind of answering the questions he posed earlier. And then verse 29, he gives strength to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Yous may become faint and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But read these words with me from verse 31. But those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. So this is like, again, who am I putting my trust in? It's one that can renew the strength that I'm going to need because I am going to fail. I am going to get weak. And then he says, they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary, and they will walk and not faint. So as you seek to put your faith in him and, and, and embrace that freedom, God's going to give you the strength that you need to do that. He strengthens us in the battle. When things are happening, he will be with us. And again, he's preparing them for some difficulty ahead. And so the freedom that's offered to us is something that we have to embrace. We have to trust God enough to walk away from what was into what is. And it's, a, it's this God right here that we're trusting, that we're putting our faith in. So I want to circle back to my question. For you personally, what would it look like 
to embrace the freedom Jesus offers you? Right? This is a you question. Like, this is, like, not theoretical, right? You don't miss the beauty of the Advent season. Don't miss what Jesus is offering you today. This is not about me. This is not about trying to coerce you to do anything. This is about you seeing the blessing of Christ in your life, your marriage, your kids, your job, your relationships. You know, it's not going to get easy, right? You're still going to have people that hate you because of your faith or that are just jerks, right? But it's like, what am I letting Jesus do in me rather than like hating the rest of the world? Like, how can I start with me, Lord? What freedom do you want me to embrace? I'm going to close with this verse from Galatians 5 again. For what? For freedom, Christ set us free. Stand firm then, and don't submit again to what? A yoke of slavery. So don't do that. Don't think that. Right? There's a better way. Stop going back to that old stuff. Step into maybe the unknown. Maybe it's a little scary. Maybe you'll get judged for it. But don't put on the yoke of slavery. Because sin is a deceitful, deceitful thing wreck all kinds of stuff in your life, right? And the more we harbor it, the more damage it will do. And Jesus says, I want you to be free. I want you to be free. You want to come pray? So let's rediscover Christmas together. Let's think about that big story that Jesus fits into in his birth and what he offers us. Awesome. Uh, let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you so much. You've given us more than we could ever ask for. This season, we're remembering that you sent your son as a servant, lowly, to set us free. And often we remember the big moment when we finally can give our lives to you and you set us free from the path that we were on. But don't let us neglect that gift that you continue to invite us to, to live in true freedom. God, I pray that you can empower us, brothers and sisters, as a community, <clears throat> that we can grow to be more like you and that we can see freedom in our lives, that we can be free from the things that hold us back. There are things in our lives that can restrict us, and maybe we don't even realize it. But those things that have a hold on us, uh, God, I'm praying that they no longer have a hold, that you bring us that freedom, that we can be totally in you, and that this season is we're remembering something so big that you did that we don't neglect something that you do continually, and you're continuing to free us. So, Father, we thank you for that. We praise you for that, and now we invite you into us for that. Set us free, Father. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great week. Once again, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified of new content every week. Remember, we want to help you worship, connect, and serve. So if you live in the central Massachusetts area, we would love for you to engage with us on Sundays. For more information, service times, and details about our children's and youth ministries, visit us at quaybogchurch.org. Have a blessed week.